Welcome to Midnight Menu Plus One. I am Ray Canada, And I'm Margo Moss. We are part of the It's New Orleans family of shows. And let me just make an announcement first. I'd like to let you know about a live event that's going to happen on Tuesday, November 5th. If you're listening to this uh, before then, you can join Chris True for a live recording of his sports comedy podcast, True to the Game, before the Pelicans game. That's at 6 o'clock at the Little Gem Saloon on Rampart Street near Poitras. That's Tuesday, November 5th, True to the Game at the Little Jam Saloon. And details are on our website, itsneworleans.com. Uh, we're one of the shows in that family network, uh, in, that, in that family, that network of shows, um, Margo. And uh, it's exciting to be a part of that. Tonight we're going to have as our guest, our special guest, none other than Joe Bryan. I'm very excited. I know you are too. Yeah. have no idea who the plus one is. She looks very interesting. I, I, I can actually see her, but I don't know who she is. Um, <laughs> we'll give that hint. But welcome to our show. Thank you. Thanks. It's ha- I'm happy to be here. <laughs> yes. You are. Uh, tell, well, tell us a little bit about the Lucky Rooster. Uh, uh, so Lucky Rooster is uh, it's a new restaurant. We opened uh, beginning of June. Uh, we're in the CBD uh, right on Barone, right off of Poydras. And it's a very kind of fun, snacky uh, take on Asian food, Korean, Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai. And uh, big bar program, big wine program, and uh, involved with the same group that has Once Flying Burrito and Slice. Right. So uh, you know we don't we don't take ourselves too seriously. So you got Italian, you got Italian, Mexican, and now Chinese. Exactly, exactly. And probably no Italians, and Mexicans, or Chinese exactly. involved in <laughs> all, all, all done by a bunch of white dudes. But okay. we're 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 having a lot of fun for sure. All, Italians are white, Mexicans are you know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, but um, who came up with the name Lucky Rooster? Uh, I think I think Lucky Rooster came to uh, Chef Neil, who's one of the partners in the business. Uh, I think it came to him uh, one jazz fest. I don't know what what was involved in that, but he <laughs> he definitely uh, uh, came up with the idea for Lucky Rooster. They were gonna they were gonna do a different kind of version of this concept uh, at a different location called Walkstar, and that didn't work, and so it got delayed about a year, and then kind of Lucky Rooster became the uh the idea so. so were you involved on it from the ground floor i mean were you uh, at the beginning of the i was involved in 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 lucky rooster and in this concept from from you know almost six seven months before we actually opened um i was uh selling i was doing wine retail for a little bit and uh wanted to get right. back in the restaurant business and knew that they were doing this so i got to get involved really in the early stages of this um, and, and kind of help guide it and, and, and make it what it yeah, is. Yeah, now you say the wine business. I'm, I'm, I met you at, at uh, Hopper's, which is yeah. a great, great wine shop yeah. on yeah. Magazine Street. Yeah. And But that was a break for you from being in the restaurant business before that, right? What, Correct. Wh- yeah. Where did you work before that? Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, so, well, I was an English major, so I, I worked in restaurants all through college. and <laughs> College um, in New Orleans, right? You went to Loyola? I went to Loyola, yeah. yeah, yeah. I finished at Loyola. And uh, so I, uh, I guess my big break in the restaurant business i started uh as a waiter at herb saint yeah, uh, part, much better than that yeah yeah, yeah. so as i was a waiter at the uh the opening opening uh team for for herb saint and uh worked with donald for 10 years uh went from waiter to manager eventually became the general manager of herb saint uh right after katrina and then uh moved into kind of the the corporate level it was the director of operations for the link restaurant group and, right uh, now, what are the other restaurants in the Link Restaurant Group? We've had uh, a number so of them on our show. Now there's 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 Herb Saint, there's Koshan, there's Butcher and Calcasieu, and uh, they they had a restaurant in Lafayette, and then they obviously have Pesh now, which is uh, yeah. doing really well. Right. 
Well, I want to know uh, how long that was when you when you started out as a waiter. What was the time frame, and what was that like working your way up? I mean, is that a normal uh, process for people that are, or did you stand out and have tons of drive? And uh, uh, I mean, I think I probably stood out because I had tons of drive. I mean, I, I waited tables for two years there uh, while I was, I mean, in college, and um, I actually left for about two months. I had uh, I'd, I'd finished school and. Uh, had this crazy idea I was going to work on a, a riverboat. <laughs> I was going to make a bunch of money. I was going to pay off all my student loans, and I was going to write the great American screenplay. And all right, sounds like Mark Twain, working yeah, on a riverboat, yeah, writing, yeah. English major. And, yeah. uh, and I did that, and just I, I, I hated the riverboat. And so, uh, <laughs> What you hate about the riverboat? It was, you know, it was 17-hour it was work days. And, what were you uh, doing on the river? I was waiting tables. Uh, you know, I was doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so you'd, you'd work a month on and have two weeks off. How far did the riverboat travel? Uh, this was the uh, Mississippi Queen. And we went from New Orleans all the way up to Minnesota, all the way up oh. to Mississippi and back. And it was... You know, it was a lot of old people on the boat. I mean, it was very much like a cruise ship. And, uh, you know, it was just there, there were a lot of people that were just doing enough to get by. And, and, like, I remember the first week I was working there, the guy that was in charge of the dining room, like, grabbed me. And he's like, you've got to slow down. Like, you cannot keep this pace up for a week of, you know, or a month of 17-hour days. And, huh. uh, you know, it wasn't about taking care of people as best you could. It was about just kind of what you could how much you had to do and then you so know, you sleeping on the boat too yeah you lived on the boat okay so you're in steerage you're like at the bottom yeah you're like you're, your floor you're living in a yeah. living in a closet with one other person and then every maybe once a week you would like hit a port late at night when there was no service and everybody would go out and just get bombed and like someone would in minnesota fight. yeah in, in random ass towns that the mississippi went through um, so I did that for like two months and was like, okay. Why would you ever quit that? That sounds like a dream was, come true. It was awful. It was <laughs> awful. So uh, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, I knew I was welcome back at Herb Saint. And so I went back in. I was like, hey, you know, Donald, I, I want to come back. And he's like, well, you can come back, but you can't come back as a waiter. And I was like, okay. He's like, you have to be a manager. So I was like. All right, so um, <laughs> is that because he just fired his manager like five minutes before? Or is no, that they 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 they'd did only he fire somebody to make room for you. No, then? they'd only they they'd open with two managers, a GM, and then uh, a, a managing partner who was really not a restaurant guy necessarily. And uh, so he's like, "We need another manager. We're getting busy. You know, this is two years into Herb Saints, so it's really starting to take off." So um, they made me a manager, and uh, you know, there I I'd, I'd been working as a waiter so i knew the th stuff that i'd wish the managers would do so i was like you know donald i was really hoping we could like we could buy enough salt and pepper shakers for every table so that we didn't have to like take them from the front tables after they were on dessert to move them to the back table he, and he's like go ahead and do it he like kind of was like just empowered me to kind of like fix the stuff that i'd wanted that's how to you knew fixed. he had confidence in you when you would let yeah. you buy well, a couple and, that, and that's kind shakers. of how yeah. how he rolls so <laughs> yeah we heard that he's kind of hard driving like a great guy work for but you know pretty pretty he i mean donald's intense but like intense, you know right? he yeah. he he definitely like if he believes in you he'll give you plenty of you know opportunity to to you know to run stuff um 
and so I was I was 24. I was I was made a manager, and about three months after I started managing, the general manager uh, left to go run another restaurant, and so uh, I went down to the ditch, which is just down from Herb Saint, <laughs> with Donald and the other manager, and uh, we had a beer, and they're like, look. We're going to pay you a little bit more money, but you can have a lot more responsibility, but we're going to hire a general manager. But in the meantime, you're going to have a lot more responsibility. And uh, we never ended up hiring another general manager. And so you got promoted to that. I, I, by, I was the de facto general manager. You know, I was hiring and firing. And, so you're single and at this point, too? Or you I'm already married? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm single at this point. And, um, you know, I'm probably the youngest person in the front of house staff or, you know, within a few years of anybody below me. And I'm hiring and firing wait staff and, and just kind of kind of went from there. And then after Katrina um, was was given the title and, and made GM and, and, and wine buyer. So it was it was a lot of being in the right place at the right time for sure. Now wine buying, did you learn that from working there or was that something you were interested in before or as you were waiting tables? Um it was definitely something I learned there. I mean I had um you know when I started at Herb Saint uh you know you, you sell a lot of wine at Herb Saint. You sell a lot of wine at these fine dining restaurants. And so um, really early on, I, I had no fine dining experience when I started working at Herb Saint. And um, I was like, I mean, I sold $800 worth of wine tonight or $1,000 worth of wine. Like, I should really learn about this. I could maybe make more money. And so initially, my interest in wine was strictly financial so letting you have a sip of the wine when you in the back yeah, no no i mean so you, they, they so you were, learn about them or? yeah they were very i mean you know it was it was definitely the first restaurant where we'd have wine classes okay. and and we'd have distributors come in and and teach us about wines that that they represented that we had on the list and you know i definitely had you know one of these like lightning bolt moments during a, a burgundy tasting at the restaurant where i was just like how can two wines from the same grape from the same region from vineyards you know a mile apart taste so completely different huh. and uh, and there are a bunch of like-minded people on the initial staff so um, you know we started getting together outside of the restaurant doing blind tastings and and I, I really got into it that way and um, and then when I became a manager I was I had access to all these wine tastings every Thursday we had 12 distributors coming by i was tasting 60 70 wines a day 60 70 wines a day yeah yeah wow. yeah you know, you're spitting it Thursdays. out mostly huh? yeah no you, you you were spitting but you know i was <laughs> um you know i was i was just immersed in it and um, I mean, that could be lethal 60 or 70 <laughs> yeah no it's it, it can be uh it's it can be a, it so can you be take a, a lot of notes or are you just remembering i mean how do you how do you even keep track of 60 or 70 different items you're tasting I mean, you in know, a day you know if you taste 60 or 70 wines that you know say your wine reps have out on the thursday which was always our tasting day at at herb saint you know the reality is maybe 10 or 12 of them are serious wines and then a lot of them are just stuff that they've got to make you know they got to make their numbers on and so um, but it's important to taste those too. You know, you can't really identify unique wines until you've had the kind of wines that are, you know, mass produced and are a little more on the industrial side. So, so you can taste the difference, I guess. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it's as important to taste something and, and know why I don't like it as it is to taste something and, 
and realize that it's something really unique. So I got to really learn on the job and, and I, you know, I was interested in it. So I started reading a lot about it. I did, I did some travel and, um, you know, it just kind of grew from there for sure. And you have like a, what, 400, 500 bottle wine collection yourself, right? Yeah. I have a, I have a, I have a walk-in cellar at the house. Um, and uh, now, see if that was even like two buck chuck, that would be more than my net worth or whatever. So that's got to be a, a big proposition. You have you have a whole room dedicated to that. And, yeah. So and uh, uh, we we live in Lakeview. We got our house uh, in April, and uh, the guy that owned it before us, uh, his kind of side gig, his hobby was music production. So in the garage, they had two rooms that were walled off and air conditioned one was the music production room and then there was a smaller room that was the sound room so when we saw the house it was like clear to my wife and i that it was like all right well we just pop the cooling unit into the you know the sound room and throw your racks in there and boom you've got a wine cellar so i didn't have to do anything with insulation the, the whole place was insulated for sound and so it's kind of perfect for for wine storage so so you, are you going to have enough to keep growing? I mean, your ambitions to have more than what you have. Uh, I mean, I, I have I have space to off. I have space to definitely, you know, put a lot more in there. Can't you move um, two of your you, kids in the same room or yeah, something? Yeah, the, <laughs> the cellar has grown a lot. It's it, it's it's tapered off since since having kids. Before we had kids, um, we had, you know we had a lot of of income to don't you know to dedicate towards you know collecting and it. We're not collecting as an investment. I mean, there's stuff that we're sitting on to drink at a later date. But um, now that we have three kids, it's, it's, you know, a little bit of stuff for the long term. And mostly it's stuff for to kind enjoy of, and make it yeah, through current, having two kids and working. And <laughs> yeah, three kids. So, <laughs> three. yeah, uh, the more and, and, and I've, you know, with with my first kid, um, you know, I bought a bunch of wine from his his birth vintage. That's for him. Uh, that will age and be something sweet. that he can have. And well, that's really cool. Unfortunately, the second and third kid, while they'll have the same thing, <laughs> there'll be a little less money put into it than uh, than the first kid had. Because it's just you know, wine's getting more and more expensive. Yeah. Especially they used to call it really primogenitor. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the firstborn he gets the uh, he the, gets the double portion. Jack, yeah, right. You know, uh, uh, second and third we're gonna we're gonna go to some some more regions that are a little better value than yeah. Burgundy. First but isn't it about the experience and in in and you have grown to appreciate wine? Probably, it, it makes it very accessible to hear that you evolved with your wine yeah. knowledge and. And as somebody who would like to know more about wine and don't, uh, it's really comforting. And it's it's not just about investment. And yeah. it's part of the experience. And uh, everybody could have a palate. No, right? I, absolutely. And and, 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 and and I mean, we're we're living in the best time in the history of the planet to drink wine. I mean, there's huh. never there's never been more great wine made in in, in more regions. Um, you know the uh, the technology and the and the ways to make wine better has spread because of the internet and email and and, and all that. So there there's never been a better time to be a wine drinker. Some of the classic regions like Burgundy and Bordeaux and Champagne are you know the the top stuff is more expensive than it's ever been because more people know about it and, huh. and are after it's it. It's a bigger but market, yeah. But Chinese you know, are buying it now, so right, forth, right? Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, wines from the Loire Valley and, and 
Germany and Alsace and, and, and even California is going through a whole renaissance of, of making stuff that's not just Chardonnay and Merlot and Cabernet. So um, even even given the, the, the rise in prices for the, you know, the classics, there are, are new emerging regions that produce really great wine at really great prices. So it's, you know, that's kind of more the focus as far as the everyday stuff at, at the house, you know. Huh. Well, we need to introduce your plus one. I see she's here. Uh, but before we do that, Margo, one thing. Uh, I used to go into Hopper's Wine all the time uh, to get wine, and Joe would always help me out there. And uh, I, I'd wait till I read something in a wine magazine, so I'd have some little trivia to sort of impress him, you know, and act <laughs> like I was sophisticated. And then I'd spit it out. And before I finished the say, he, like, he, he was kind of polite about it, but then he finished the sentence for me. Like, damn it, I can't, you know? <laughs> Even when I cherry pick, like, the, the, the stuff, he already knows it. So, um, yeah, he knows basically everything there ever is to know about all wines everywhere, apparently, which is kind of cool. Or maybe 10% of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least everything I read. Right. Um, introduce your plus one for us. All right. So uh, my plus one is uh, Christine Janine Nielsen. Uh, she is the uh, bar manager and runs the whole spirits program at Lucky Rooster. Uh, she's our coctologist. That's that's what her business card <laughs> Coctologist. says. Coctologist. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> yep. And uh, and like someone that. I'm learning a lot about uh, spirits and cocktails from. Um, she's really interested in wine, so I've been teaching her about wine, and I've been, of course, learning about spirits from her, which has been a fun, yeah, fun, it's been a fun good relationship. Exchange. Wow. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Now I have a question about. So how do you? Um, collaborate i mean not collaborate what's the word how do you decide with spirits and with wine how to pair that with uh asian street food or i mean i guess or yeah. is that with the sure uh, i mean i think you have a lot of options you can either go wine or you can go cocktail and so if you want to go wine then you ask joe about it and if you have co want cocktails then go yeah, cocktails and preferably both no, but how does your mind work when you do you do y'all taste the food? I mean, oh, I yeah, know, besides absolutely. when you were planning before, I mean, I, I would like to know, like when the menu was being planned, were you working with them and oh, saying, yeah. oh, I was, this I was on board flavor? well before the restaurant opened. OK, so I and got to taste what does a lot that of look things? like when you're planning a, the menu and the, and the I mean, spirits. I look a lot at spices and I also look at things that are seasonal. Um, I always want my cocktail menu to be seasonal. Okay. And then build it around Asian spices, you know, a lot of star anise, a lot of cardamom, black pepper. Um, ginger. You know, ginger, lemongrass, and then just kind of put it together organically. A lot of it's based on classic cocktail formulas. Once you get to know your classic cocktails, you kind of have a big, a lot of building blocks that you know how to put together. Just sour and sweet and strong and you know so if you are tasting something let's say the um the korean uh fried korean fried chicken chicken yeah. that i love how you would taste it and let's it's got chili in it right and yeah it's, it's, no, it's, it's probably a spicy dish on the menu so what sure. would you recommend as a spirit drink with that that doesn't take away from the you know, that would accentuate each other. I like would definitely recommend something that's long and tall. So like yeah. a soda-style drink. I've got a lot of homemade sodas that change seasonally. Okay. But something that definitely has, like, that isn't strong. Okay. To the t like, strong in alcohol. 
Because that'll just bring out the Alcohol spice. Alcohol and spice don't necessarily go together. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. So, like, yeah. for example, our spice plum fairy soda right now would be perfect. So it's a mm. plum soda that has a lot of uh, star anise and some allspice in it and then lemon juice. And then you can get it with alcohol or without. But it's such a long drink, like a tall soda drink, that it's not going to bring out the spice in it. Okay. Nice. Huh. And w- sorry. And where were you? Uh, were you a mixologist? Or, I'm sorry. How, what is it? Cock? Cocktailologist. No. This, this is the first cocktailology position I've had. <laughs> um, no, right before this, I was working uh, for the Windsor Court Hotel doing oh. their bar programs for the Polo Club Lounge and Cocktail Bar and uh, Le Salon. So what would that look like? What was what, what, what did it look like doing that, what you did? Um, it was intense. Um, working for hotels is, is difficult, to say the least. So you're training the bartenders there? Is that yes. what you're doing? Okay. Yeah. Doing all the cocktails, training bartenders, working shifts, organizing the way the new cocktail bar is their new cocktail bar. How'd you get that job? Um, I worked I, and managed at LOA down the street at the International House, and a lot of the managers would come in and drink with me after their shift. And they decided that they wanted to up their cocktail program. So they offered me a brand new position doing cocktails at Windsor Court. So I took it. And yeah. That and that. Were, uh, did the guys or uh, owners and stuff approach you to, to come in? And Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, that's nice. Yeah, they, it was uh, great. It was a great opportunity. So you drink every day? Of course. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes, we do. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, 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 and so uh, kind of my – the other manager, Brian Fuller, who uh, works at, at Rooster, who I'd worked with back at Herb Saint, and he'd gone on to Koshan and eventually Koshan and Lafayette. He knew CJ, and so I'd already tapped him to be a manager for, for Rooster when we opened. And he's like, well, I know this girl, Christine, who, you know, she just left the Windsor Court, and she's working at St. Marie, but, she, you know, she might be interested. And I was like – I don't think we can afford her or like, we don't really have a budget for a a bar manager. And, um, you know, we got together a couple of times, the three of us and had drinks and, you know, at the same time I was like, I don't know if I want to run another bar program. I just want to be a bartender because it's really intense working like three outlets at a hotel. I was exhausted. Um, but then I think we had drinks maybe once or twice and it was just like, Wow. I was like, you you can run it. Like, I, you know, I mean, I know what I like to drink, but I'm certainly not, you know, I only have so much space in this brain for information, and it's mostly filled with wine knowledge. So I want someone that can really just be in charge of the spirits. And I really wanted to work with someone who had a lot of wine knowledge. Yeah. Now, so it's been... I didn't mean to interrupt, but so uh, are are there authentic Asian cocktails there too? I mean, are like what do they drink in in say China, Japan, or where some of your cuisine is influenced from? Like, what are there are do they do they have certain signature I drinks mean, there? Or I mean, the cocktail originated; it's an American invention, right. so all of their cocktails are all derivative, kind of anyway, huh? Yeah, they're yeah. derived from American cocktails. I mean, they've got great Japanese whiskey that. We don't necessarily have a lot of access to, but we have some. So we have three or four Japanese whiskeys on the menu. But um, most of their cocktail bars, 
while being influenced by their seasonal fruits are, are really based of off of American right, okay. cocktail bars. But, and that's true around the world. Hmm. Very interesting. So, so have you always worked in bars since, like, what did you do in college? Did you work in? Um, I was a barista. You were a barista then? Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah, I started in coffee. Um, I moved here about seven and a half years ago, and I did construction. Construction. Secretarial oh. work at a music school. Would not have guessed. Ah. The Wait, you were in? You physically were doing construction. You mix it, I like was. mixing cement, like uh, hauling did, stuff. I did lots of stuff. I did, you know. Um, not working the trailer. Sheet rock, what the hell? Floors. Where were you when I was renovating my house? <laughs> this is ridiculous. Uh, hiding. <laughs> so, so you came to New Orleans because you wanted to be in New Orleans and, and not necessarily for the construction job, probably, right? No, I was helping <laughs> out a friend and I ended up learning a lot of stuff. Now, where are you from originally? Atlanta. Atlanta, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, just so like New Orleans. I moved here right after, <laughs> right after Katrina. All right. And uh, I didn't get, actually, I didn't start bartending until I left New Orleans for a summer and went to Montana. Oh. And they had a bar opening at this restaurant that I was working at. And oddly enough, the couple that owned the restaurant... They met each other in New Orleans, and both had worked for the Brennans. Um, so I started bartending there, and then I came back, um, did a little fine dining waiting, and then got a job in a couple dive bars here in New Orleans. Oh. At uh, worked at Molly's at the Market. And oh at, yeah. And at the Dungeon, both. Oh gra- wow. Both <laughs> graveyard shifts. Yeah. And then I had a friend who came in one night, and he was like, "There's this new bar. It's Bar Tonique." You should come in and, you know, just intern. I think you'd really like it. I know you like to cook and you're really into, every, you know, like just food and booze in general. So I interned for free at Bartonique for a couple months and then started working there and moved out of the graveyard game. Okay, so when game. you were 21, 22, were you drinking cocktails? Like, have you been drinking cocktails all your life or was, was that something oh, you grew no, into? No, no. Um, Malt liquor. (laughs) (laughs) Just really drinking. Just really drinking. Nothing great. Um, You didn't start in New Orleans, though. You were drinking cocktails before New Orleans, or no? No, when I moved here, I think I was 19 and a half, maybe 20 when Uh, I moved here. So it wasn't even of drinking age. So, of Um, course, you weren't drinking. Of course, (laughs) I wasn't drinking. Mom's listening. So, <laughs> so when you when you oh, got here, okay. So were you like the kind of girl who grew up in Atlanta, and you were the only one in your class that had the green hair and the tattoos and dressed really cool or whatever? Or did you like um, get here did the and hit you? and yeah, you got here and two weeks after you got here, you had the green hair and the tattoos. And well, I had purple hair. You had purple hair. Okay. Yeah. All right. Green's when I was in yeah. high school. <laughs> so they kicked yeah. you out of Atlanta. They they were they wanted you to leave. No, I I willingly left. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a little boring did you so did you get your ink there or, did you, or here um i've gotten all of it here all of well it here. not all of it some of it i got there okay two pieces there all right well maybe that could be our break instead of the book yeah. of questions can we do that this week margo you think sure i'd like to get She's a tour of her tattoos i think that'd be that's awesome all right done. <laughs> but then <laughs> that gets joe off the hook too do you have any tattoos I he does i do have tattoos. Has tattoos. okay all right great yeah. so all right let's, let's hear let's that. see everybody's tattoos do you have any tattoos margo you know what you're talking <laughs> i about do <laughs> you do where are they well one they're unmentionable places no it's oh. one is on my stomach and oh. it, it used to look like a real thing and then i you know it now it just looks like a blue blob because it stretched out and then it got smaller oh and baby and stuff. babies yeah uh, yeah and babies. just huh. you know uh 
Yes, I do. So I have a phoenix on my stomach, and I have a um, a peacock feather on the top of my foot. All right. That looks like a blue sperm. <laughs> wow. Because it, you know, it's not the easiest place to have a tattoo and rubs and. Right. Huh. So. Yeah. All right. Okay, but let's hear about uh, Janine's. Uh, well, how many do you have? Tattoos. Christine. Um, I don't know. Christine. I don't think I Christine, is yeah. your middle name Janine? Yeah, Jan- it's Christine yeah. Janine oh. or okay. CJ for short. You call her CJ. Okay. Yeah. You like CJ. Yeah. All right, so how many do you have? Um, I, I don't know. I you really know. haven't counted recently. We had a party recently for a guy. We did pin the tail, pin the tattoo on the on the rock star. <laughs> it's a rock star. We had 19 spots on the life size cut out of him, and everybody in the party had to had to figure out where his tattoos went, and no one got it right, including him. Wow. <laughs> so okay. I went, yeah, so that so it's not. Well, let's go top to bottom. Um, or we go chronologically, yeah, I guess. You, yeah, show um, us chronologically. That sounds so cool, So the first booze tattoo that I got was uh, Ramos Gin Friends, Geneva. Nice. Um, and this is a friendship tattoo that I got um, with my best friend, Lucinda Weed. She works at Sylvain. She's also a bartender. All right. Um, so we started kind of a cocktail catering business that, I mean, we both got busy. and But essentially, it's a friendship tattoo. So the Ramos Gin Fizz is obviously an old classic New Orleans cocktail from 1888. Um, So Ramos Gin Friends instead of Fizz. And then Geneva is a Dutch gin. So it's a play on So she got a matching one? Yeah, hers hers is on her back. But it it says says the same thing. Geneva and always. Oh, cool. You guys still friends? Yeah, we're roommates currently. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, you got to get the tattoo altered or something. (laughs) Okay, Joe. What is your um uh so uh you got to show us too. Okay, so I guess the one that makes the most sense uh with what we're talking I have a uh, Premi Crew tattooed on my chest. Ah. Uh which means first growth which is uh a reference to kind of the French appellation system and how they rate vineyards so it oh. means it's not the top vineyard uh vineyard designation in Burgundy which would be Grand Cru. But there's only 32 Grand Crus and there's 160 some odd. So I'm talking about. So, knowing Premier Crus is requires more attention than knowing the Grand Crus. So yeah, I have I have Premier Cru there, and then I have a couple other ones. But yeah, that's the only booze one I have. That's the only one booze related. What's uh, the dad tomato? So my father. um, I thought that was a heart. It's a tomato. Yeah, it's a tomato. Is that Creole tomato? It is. Awesome. So my dad used to grow tomatoes in his garden when I was a kid, and he passed away when I was nine. So I have always wanted, like, I always went out to the garden and would eat tomatoes and just have tomato seeds all over Mm. my shirt (laughs) all the time. So I wanted to get something that was in the same vein as the classic mom tattoo, but a dad one with a Mm. tomato. Sweet. Cool. That's what my first tattoo That's was about favorite. too. My <laughs> oh wait, wait, let's see his favorite. What's the, what's that one? Oh, Put an egg on it. <laughs> <laughs> on her elbow. On your the elbow. egg is right on the. I mean, there's really nothing you can not put an egg on. <laughs> you know what though? That's kind of a wimpy tattoo because. You can't what? you can't cause any pain on your uh, elbow. You're you're <laughs> right. the you, skin on your elbow. It does not yeah. hurt. Watch this. Have you ever gotten right now. have you ever gotten a tattoo you. on your elbow? Let me see your elbows. Yeah. You can't pull no, the skin out and tattoo it. It actually is really naked as a jaybird. Those elbows. It's also it's really actually. It's the least cr- sensitive skin you have in your whole body, probably right here. Yeah, but the bone. They can't. You can't pull the skin out. But it's also extra thick too. 
No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm it's just kidding. It's actually super uncomfortable. Yeah. Okay. All tattoos are uncomfortable. Was that your worst one? What was uh, your most painful? Um, the one on my leg took a long time. Yes. yes. Right. Here comes the elephant. <laughs> wow. Are you a it Republican? Is an <laughs> 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 uh, no. A, what? Yeah, describe the uh, the elephant. Okay, so the elephant is in a tuxedo, or it looks like top hat. Tuxedo, top hat, monocle. He's drinking a martini. There's Very a broken, classy, classy there's a elephant. broken uh, bottle next to him. Um, one of my friends and I were drinking during a Saints game, and uh, he had an unfortunate tattoo on his his butt, and he wanted to get it covered up. So we decided on getting elephants with a top hat and a monocle, drinking a <laughs> martini. Wait, what was his old tattoo that he got covered up? It was an ex-girlfriend's name. Oh, ah, there we go. On his butt? On his butt? He also got, mine's black and white. He got, his is colored. Wow. It's a pink envelope, uh, um, elephant with uh, like blue shorts and it's all colored in and it took <laughs> That was the only way longer. to cover up the name? I mean, mine took almost four hours. and. So his took weeks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had to go back. He, oh, wow. He was seriously committed to covering it up. And you're a good friend. When it's an ex- well, that's, that's, like, that's like Winona, you know, you know, Winona Ryder, right? Yeah, yeah. And they, you know, Wino instead Wino of Winona forever, whatever. Yeah. Wino forever instead yeah. of, instead of uh, Winona. You know about that? I don't know yeah. about Johnny that. Depp. Johnny Depp. He had, like, oh. Winona forever. Oh, yeah. And then they broke up and he made it Wino forever. I didn't even know that they went out. <laughs> <laughs> CJ doesn't actually like movies. <laughs> this is something we've we've learned. Uh, I actually had to only obscure. Movies. I had I had to rent. Um, what did what did Roadhouse? We, Roadhouse, because I was like, what kind of bartender hasn't seen Roadhouse? <laughs> so we rented Roadhouse and watched it on one of the iPads at the restaurant like a month. Wait, ago. what was the Tom Cruise one? Is that cocktail? Cocktail. I yeah. also hadn't. I've never seen. seen that. That. She hadn't seen that. I she either. saw that on her own. I I, I rented it from iTunes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's just not into movies. All right, so now we've, we've seen about 10% of your tattoos. What else you got? Um, I have a pineapple jigger. A pineapple jigger? So jigger what? Jigger um, what? Okay, got it. So it says what underneath. So there's this program during Tales. It's the Cocktail Apprentice Program, and it's bartenders from all over the world who get accepted to basically make all the cocktails, batch all the cocktails for every event during Tales of the Cocktail. And it's a really great privilege to get to do it. And um, it was one of the first things that really got me into the cocktail community at large outside of New Orleans. Um, And so the first year that I did it, um, actually the first year we did it, we didn't do tattoos. Second year, uh, we got chartreuse tattoos. Chartreuse is an herbal liqueur from... From France. This is in Tales of the Cocktail, you're saying. Yeah. Explain, then, explain to our listeners what that is in case they don't know. Tales of the Cocktail is the biggest cocktail convention in the world. Here in New it's, Orleans. Yeah, it's a lot of people from the industry, both making booze, making cocktails. Some bars in New York shut down and turn uh, into beer shop bar. Right. Because like, everybody's Just because everyone's <laughs> coming here. Which is, a, which is appropriate, right? Because this is a and cocktail town, and also it was the American cocktail was invented in New Orleans, right? I mean, that's... And I, I remember when it started, it was like, yeah. oh, yeah, this thing. But, like, it takes place in July, which traditionally isn't a busy restaurant month in New Orleans. You know, the summer really slows down for everybody because 
it's hurricane season, the conventions don't book, and Tales of the Cocktail has become this just amazing, you know, people are coming in four or five days in advance right. and staying four or five days after, and it's great for the restaurants. You know, uh, this past Tales of the Cocktail, I met more master sommeliers at Tales of the Cocktail than I'd ever met at any wine event. I mean, hmm. it, it's it's really, really well done, and it's it's a really great thing for the city. I mean, to me, it makes sense, too, because you're dying of thirst in July. It's, like, very, very hot here. You're thirsty all the time. You can drink endless cocktails. Plus, you want to stay drunk because you're scared to death of the hurricane's coming. Right. <laughs> yeah. So right. Now, who um, started that? Uh, uh, Ann Tinnerman. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and it started as a walking tour, <laughs> actually. And now it's this huge, huge cocktail that, or event that's just... And this take. is the fifth? No, how, what, what number? Um, it's it's that, longer yeah. than that. Nine, uh, they're eight, nine? More eight, than that. So that, yeah, I think their 10th year was... Last last year, I can okay. I can be wrong, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's been, been going on for. I mean, but it's got it's really gotten seriously huge. I'd say the last five or six years, where it's just like so on national proportions. I and mean, restaurants that you, you've been at, do they participate, or is it all an independent? Uh, their uh, restaurants do spirited dinners, yeah. um, very much like like during Nalfi, where you've got nights where every restaurant in New Orleans is doing a wine dinner with a different winery. Uh, now restaurants are doing spirited dinners, so it may be with, uh, you know, a, a, a brand, a, 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 a family of spirits, or it may be, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a bartender that's in from out of town who's paired with a chef in New Orleans. So, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's not just, you know, and there are just like, you know, great wine festivals. There are seminar after yeah. seminar. You can go learn about vermouth for two hours and then take 30 minute break and go learn about you know Isla scotches and then you can take another 30 minute break and go learn about how they harvest agave to make tequila I mean it's hmm. you know educational yeah, it's for the, the trade but it's also to be really educational <clears throat> and they do a whole um, section before like the public is involved it's all industry related it's all uh-huh. about how to open your own bar what you have to think about like Napkin wise, or you know, you want to open a green bar, or yeah, you know, mm-hmm. just all it changes every year. Basically, different people submit different ideas, and then mm. and then follow through and have classes. Well, this is the most in-depth cocktail conversation I think we've had in the, over a year on the show. But I want to get before we run out of time. I want to hear more about Lucky Rooster. Um, I know this is one of Margo's favorite restaurants, and I I got to admit I'm going for the first time in a couple of days. We got we have another couple it's a long taking walk. with us. Yeah, it's a long exactly. Yeah, you know me. He knows me. I don't, I don't, I don't drive. No, we're going to drive right. to it because we're going with another couple. They'll drive cool. us. Cool. And uh, but yeah, we're going this we're going this weekend. But um, tell us about your signature dishes. Tell us about. Your chef, you know, to tell us a little more about Lucky Rooster. Sure. So um, Neil, who's the chef, uh, he's been working in New Orleans for forever. You know, uh, he was uh, he was the executive chef at NOLA, two different stints for over seven years. He was at, wow. at Delmonico. Um, but I kind of first remember hearing about him uh, when he was still at NOLA. And, uh, you know, his passion's always been Asian food. He was at Mike's on the Avenue the first go around. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he, he loves Asian food. It's really innovative the first time. Very, right? yeah, 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 absolutely. And, um, and so, the, you know, the menu is uh, kind of set up in a couple of different quadrants. 
Um, we have kind of your traditional Asian appetizers, so spring rolls and dumplings and ribs, stuff that you know you kind of expect at a lot of restaurants, but everything's done fresh. You know, all the doughs are made in house. Um, you know, there's 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 not a lot of of you know you know syrups and stuff like that. I mean, all the sauces are made. You know, um, so it's it's really you know you've never really had a really good spring roll until you've had one that was like rolled that morning by the prep cook uh. and then fried and, and sent right out to you. Um, we do bao, which are the kind of steam bun. Uh, almost, it's almost like a, a puffy taco uh, with uh, different fillings, shrimp, pork belly, Korean sticky beef. We do them with chicken and uh. um, pineapple. Uh, those are some of my favorite things on the menu. Uh, you know, we do kind of takes on, on, you know, Vietnamese banh mi. So we've got, you know, we've obviously got the bread from Dongfong. You know, we uh-huh. know what we don't need to mess around with. Um, and, uh, and, then, and then the soup section, which are um, not necessarily pho. You know, the, it's, it's not really more of a, a clear broth. These are really enhanced broths. So, I mean, I remember the first time before we'd opened... Neil brought out the vegetable stock, oh, which yeah. I thought was the chicken stock because <laughs> there was so much flavor in it. So wow! Um, so we have a, a vegetable stock-based kind of vegetarian soup. We have a chicken stock-based, uh, which we call the Lucky Rooster, kind of the, the you know the signature soup that's got three different types of chicken and, and all the veggies and udon noodles. Uh, and then we have a, 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 a kind of a seafood. It's kind of a take on the crab and shrimp bisque. So there's crab and shrimp and corn. And they actually, they actually simmer the crabs in that vegetable stock, and then that's how they make the stock for that soup. So, um, you know, it, it's 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 stuff that takes a lot of time to get. You know, there's no soup bases. There's none of the kind of shortcuts to it. And uh, you know, all the noodles that go in the soups are made in house. Um, and, and 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 that you know, on top of all that, as serious as we take all that, we have a lot of fun. We have. Silly names for stuff and, and right. fun specials and, and you know all the desserts are called happy endings and happy yeah, endings right. on the desserts yeah <laughs> right. yeah so uh, okay well now uh, you now you you you, t- you mentioned about me you know being kind of far for me to walk but it's uh it's in the CBD and uh, so do you get a lot I mean is that you get mostly tourists you're getting a lot of locals I know that I know that neighborhood especially warehouse district part is really growing in terms of like residents there yeah uh, so it's a lot of places to be converted into lofts and all that right so are you, so at, at I'm sure at lunch it's different but at dinner is yeah it, lunch is, it is ve- lunch is very much the kind right. of business crowd we get a lot right. of people that come in a couple times a lunch we you know at, at 11:45 the whole restaurant's full and we'll do two turns. Um, I mean, honestly, I think we could do lunch just based on one shell square alone. Like <laughs> they, they, they come in droves. Because you're right off of Poydras, right? Right. We're yeah. we're we're right off of Barone. We're on Barone, right off of Poydras, right. five fifteen. Um, and then it, you know, at dinner certainly, you know, we're we're still only about four months in, so we're really, you know, just getting into the kind of busy season for the CBD. Um, but at dinner, we've got a lot of people that actually, you know, it's it's a very young kind of hip crowd that you know people that live downtown in the lofts and the apartments um we're we're you know just in the 9 30 in the civic lofts around us we've got like civic, yeah. 330 some odd apartments um but we're also lucky that now you know the civic theater is doing shows so unbelievable we get, yeah yeah it's, it's a gorgeous crazy. gorgeous yeah. space they did a great job with that so we'll get people coming in before a show at the civic 
or someone who's going to the Joy or maybe right. someone going to the Sanger. Um, and then, you know, as, as really the big conventions start, start coming in town, we expect we're going to get some of that. You know, we've been, uh, you know, really trying to communicate with all the concierges in, in, in the hotels and let them know what we're all about. All right. Um, and then, and then the other thing is we, you know, we do a lot of, of takeout so you can call in and just, you know, swing by and, and, and pick up what you want and take it home. Just like you kind of expect from, from most Asian restaurants. That never occurred to me. Okay. I didn't yeah, even, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> doesn't seem like you're that kind of place. So that's really cool that you yeah, can do that yeah, too. That's yeah. awesome. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time, Margo. I can't believe it. I'm uh, getting a signal from Grant. How did dun, that dun, happen? Dun. That was that's tragic. All that talking about CJ's tattoos. <laughs> it was the tattoos. Yeah. Yeah. We spent yeah. we spent forty five minutes on the tattoos. We didn't even get halfway through them. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. This has uh, been a delight. Lucky Rooster, everyone. Lucky Rooster, can you give us your email address? I'm sure you're on Facebook as well. Sure, Not sure. your email address, your web address. Yeah. And, so yeah. Uh, website is uh, www.luckyroosternola.com. What happens uh, if they go to justluckyrooster.com? Is that like a <laughs> massage parlor or no, something? Yeah, no. There's, there's, there's some place, some place that it okay. is not us. But so it's Lucky, Rooster Lucky Rooster Nola, Nola, and it's Facebook at Lucky Rooster Nola. Uh, and tell our guests your address and hours. Yeah, please. so address is 515 Barone Street. Uh, we're open uh, Monday through Saturday, lunch and dinner, um, all the way through uh, Monday through Thursday. We're open from 11 to 10 p.m., and then Friday and Saturday we stay open until 11. Um, actually, this week, Wednesday through Saturday, we're going to actually stay open until midnight because we got a bunch of shows and there's Halloween, the, just the bar, really. Um, and yeah, you know, right off, uh, right off of Barone and, uh, and Poitras. All right. Well, thank you. This has been, it's been Joe Bryan, general manager of Lucky Rooster and Christine Janine, coctologist at Lucky Rooster. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. It's a real delight. Thanks for having me. Thanks, y'all. Thanks. Right. Our show is recorded live at Ted's Frost Hop on Claiborne Avenue in Calhoun in Uptown New Orleans. Ted's is open seven days a week, serving first-class burgers, beer, and their awesome homemade root beer in a frosty mug. Midnight Menu Plus One is produced by Grant Morris, and Chris Keogh is our technical director. And this fabulous audio quality that you hear is by PreSonus Audio Electronics. Makes all kinds of wonderful things. Visit PreSonus.com for more information. You can get in touch with us here at Midnight Menu Plus One by going to our website, it's neworleans.com, and from there you can follow us on Twitter, find us on Facebook, sign up for our mailing list, get all kinds of swag. Uh, and while you're at itsneworleans.com, you can listen to other episodes of Midnight Menu Plus One and our other shows, Happy Hour, Mindset, True to the Game, Vietnola, Out to Lunch, and others. And if you listen to the show on iTunes, uh, please rate us and review us. It helps other people to find us. Midnight Menu Plus One is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. So we meet here again at Ted's Frost Top. I am Ray Kanata. And I'm Margo Moss. Thanks. You know Labor Day signals the unofficial end of summer, but not the end of your outdoor projects. Lowe's helps you do it right and helps you save with Labor Day deals throughout the store. Shop now and get two bags of Stay Green Potty Mix for $12. And keep your lawn looking neat and trim with a Craftsman 2-Cycle 17-inch gas string trimmer, now $20 off at just $119. Whatever's still on your to-do list this Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 828. Soil offer excludes Alaska and Hawaii, U.S. only.